Hi, welcome to People. I'll try and keep this intro short, as I hope this third episode brings you some form of solace, whether through reflection or some form of much-needed levity. At the time of my recording this intro, the U.S., our home country, has now confirmed nearly twice the number of COVID-19 cases of any other country on the planet, and the global confirmed cases approach one million. I've just come down with a fever myself, and I'm certain the next few weeks and months will be more trying than the last. But if there's anything redeeming I've discovered about living quarantined for several weeks during a global crisis, it's that calamity begets cooperation and flow. I've found those in my world more focused, collaborative at work, and emotionally available. If in search for the silver lining to this pandemic, one need only trace the innumerate perils of this time. For each, there was a perhaps not always equal, but opposite invitation to improve our ways of living. In truth, I have few novel insights about the coronavirus to speak of, except for perhaps those which come spontaneously through conversation. This is largely why I aim to take this podcast more seriously from this point onward. If there's listener interest, we are motivated to release episodes more frequently. After all, this is a time when the regular people among us show extraordinary courage and virtue, and that hits close to this program's thematic home. This episode features a wide array of topics, dovetailing from episode two's exploration of the quarter-life crisis, We discuss receding hairlines, deteriorating physical appearance, of course the coronavirus, and several angles with which to redeem this plainly grotesque moment in world history. This episode features episode one's guest, a friend and confidant whom I'm pleased to have back on the show. In the episode notes, you'll find links to articles we reference throughout our conversation. With that preamble, this podcast is for everyone. I hope you enjoy and stay strong. So, I mean, there's so many places to begin, um, you know, uh, who, who, to whomever's listening, they, they, they don't see that I'm wearing a ball cap. Um, and I'm wearing a ball cap for a few reasons. Uh, you know, I took a bath tonight. My hair was kind of messy. I just threw a ball cap on. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm inside my house. So it's not like I'm going anywhere. Why am I wearing a ball cap? Right. Well... I'm wearing a ball cap to conceal, to conceal my thinning hair. And I'm at a stage where my hair is getting long, but I'm too scared to go to the barber and get it cut. Right. Because I don't want to share the, the mutual, she, my barber, I go to her every, she probably already knows, but you know, I go to her consistently. She sees it's thinning. I see it, but she doesn't want to acknowledge it. I don't know if that like, so I'm in a new stage of my life where I'm now having to, to, to make sense of what it's going to be like to get a haircut while I'm losing my hair. It is the worst experience because one of the things is if you get a really high quality haircut, sounds like you just go to a barber, um, Mm -hmm. nothing against barbers, but, um, especially female barbers don't seem to understand what hair loss looks Mm -hmm. like. Um, mm-hmm. they don't necessarily have the emotional sensitivity, but the big thing is they don't understand how the dynamics of hair loss, like if you cut 
my hair there. It, it may never grow again. Like this is, it's, <laughs> no, seriously. So, and I had a really good connection with, with um, a hairstylist in the previous city I lived in. And I remember walking into the hair salon looking good, but having a bit of like, you know, pompadour. It looked really stupid. And yeah, like you had a you had a tuft on your head. Yeah, so I wanted to, I wanted to cl- get it cleaned up, and she gave me a haircut, basically just as though I I was any other male customer. She, she didn't really take into account the fact that I was rapidly losing hair at that point, rapidly. Mm. And <laughs> and at the end of the haircut, I remember she she said, "You're gonna have your hair down in your face again in no time." And the interesting thing was. That was the first haircut I ever got, which marked the point after which I never had hair in my face again. <laughs> Gosh. And and every hair every haircut since then has been very touch and go, and um, yeah. my hair is no longer my thing. It used to be my thing. My first girlfriend uh, in sixth grade, which means I you know probably talked to her twice. Um, yeah. she only liked me because of my hair and she was very forthcoming about that. And well, yeah, you, you do have nice curly hair and yeah. And, and now it's, now it's gone. So, uh, well, like, I'm yeah, it's, it's leaving. Well, yeah, exactly. You, you have to compensate in other ways. So I've, I've been eating healthier and lifting weights. Um, and I'm yeah. hopeful that somehow it'll grow back. Um, like, well, let, let's see it. <laughs> you know, it's like a, like a, Okay. I'm going to be honest. Um, I don't really see any signs of substantial hair loss there. Yeah, I, well, you can't really see on the camera, but I definitely have a little bit of on the left. You know, I, I'll, I'll spare the audience the details. But what I will say is this. The reason, you know, so in some sense, this coronavirus is a blessing because everything's closed by me. And I can't go in and get the haircut. But all the while, of course, you know, it's, it's, it's a great sadness. But I remember being a little kid, and you, your mom or your dad, they take you to get a haircut. And, um, you know, like the point of no return where they snip something, and you, like, you know it's going to look really bad, but you just don't say anything? Yeah. Yeah, but that's like me. I'm, I'm scared for that to happen all over again because it's like they'll snip something, and now everyone knows, you know? Well— Actually, I would say that most people probably everyone already knows, right? I think if anyone does, it's men who have been through the process of significant recession Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or thinning um, and just recognize it when they see it. Um, I think that those people would be um, more sensitive than the average person and more forgiving, though. Uh, one, One thing that I think you can do uh, to mask it over time is something I've been doing for years. Uh, you yeah. can mess your hair up a little bit. You can get a little bit more of a layered haircut. Um, is that something that you've ever tried? I don't know. Yeah, you know, I always keep it pretty straight laced on my uh, my as far as my do goes. But I have been rocking a little messier. I mean, my whole thing is if it actually you know ends up getting bad, um, I'll just shave it. I'll just shave my head. Okay, you know, I it's fine. Yeah, but you have a number of years until that needs to take place. I mean, I'd say you have at least five years on you. <laughs> Gosh, man. No, I mean, I know it sounds crazy, but I've just warned my friends and family that 
it's about one year out. <laughs> yeah, you know, I uh, went to the dermatologist too embarrassed to ask for Propecia outright, so I had my mom call ahead of time and, um, you know, walked in on the pretense of dermatitis. And the um, first thing he said was, yeah, yeah, you, you got some male pattern baldness going on. Yeah, of and course. It, I just realized that the whole world that's trying to console me is just being outed as liars at this point. And it's yeah, fine. Propecia, Propecia uh, you know, I know someone on it. I, I just, I, I, I don't know if I could do that. Um, the thing is, like, the, the problem is I see a lot of older guys that look really good. And they, they have, like, like they, they have no hair um i mean their, their hair is really thin or it's receded or you know they're bald not like they've bicked it but you know they've got a little bit of side action going on they look have really cool beards but the thing is if you are 30 and you have that hair it's, it's sad it looks vaguely clinical it does <laughs> it does look very no very much so yeah i don't want to look sickly i don't want to yeah, that's want... tragic. I mean, you still have a little bit of a baby face at that point in your life. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, when you see a guy like that, you don't even guess it. But when someone sees a 30-year-old like that, they go, oh, what happened to him? Yeah, you he know? has a very stressful job. He's just been through the worst year of his life. Um, and yeah. You know, the worst thing about this is dating for me, and which is why I'm trying to leave the dating world in short order, because young women, um, quite understandably, are rather uncharitable around something like this. I mean, you know, they have their pick. Because because of your yeah, especially in regards to male pattern baldness. Yeah, and also they have, you know, all these guys coming after them. They have to develop a certain thick skin, um, a sense of irony to weather the storm of being, uh, so desired. I mean, um, who's that actor who, um, said that he had to stop flirting with women, uh, when he lost his hair at an early age? Yeah. Who? The guy from X-Men. Oh, uh, Patrick Stewart. Patrick Stewart. Even though he looks, he's iconically bald. But when he was our age. Yeah. He looks scary. I'm sure. Well, for a period to himself, I'm sure he did. Well, yeah, I'm not. I'm not shaming him for. I'm just saying the outward, the outward, and it, it, it's a crippling thing losing your hair. Um, it really is, and you know you lose it, uh, and and I don't think it's just vanity attached to it. I think that, you know, there's a sense of of youthfulness, and there's a sense, especially if you're not partnered up, you know, like and you're already like trying to, you're trying to, you know, make yourself available to someone else and then you have to make yourself available while showing them that you have you know like while you're losing your hair um i just don't want to ever be one of the guys that clings i'm not a clinger and if i if it if it if it yeah. starts falling out and then i'm clinging to it that it makes me sad i look i went to a couple's house for dinner you know hopefully they're not listeners of the show but i was looking at their photos and i noticed you know a photo of them about three years ago and there was a little bit of clinging happening in the photo. It was just like a tiny little tuft of hair just yeah. swooped up. And it's like, you know, I don't know. I mean, maybe there's different kinds of guys with different kinds of baldness, with different kinds of 
some guys I well, feel yeah. like are in I denial. Mean, when you say right denial, there. you do mean literally the psychological phenomenon of denial. Because uh, one thing that happens is your definition of what it means to have hair certainly changes. I mean, your your standard uh, uh, changes. Yeah. Yeah. For instance, when I started losing a little bit of hair, I remember looking at my friend um, and telling him I'd never felt so badly about myself. Mm. And now it's about a year and a half, two years later, and I still have not shaved my head. Yeah. Because, you know, I know now um, with the thinning that has started to occur uh, in my case, that every time I meet someone, they're very aware that I am starting to lose my hair. And um, I'm not embarrassed anymore. You know, even my father, um, he has the true side action going on. Yeah, but he looks uh, good, though. Yeah, I mean, I I say, Dad, why don't you just rip off the Band-Aid and shave it? And he says, you know, I still got a little bit of hair. (laughs) Because at that point, it doesn't matter. I mean, if you like your hair, if you like the texture of it. I agree. Well, but that's what I was saying. At that point, it doesn't matter. But when you're 30 years old, it's it's a different dynamic. Yeah. Um, it doesn't. It's it's not the same thing. And um, yeah, that's troubling. Um, I don't know. Do you have friends like in your circle? Um, of course, this assumes that you have a circle. But do you have friends in your circle that that are thinning and losing their hair and are aware of it? Um. I would say that I have one friend uh, who is a, mu- a mutual friend of ours. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, I think that he's about where mm-hmm. I am mm-hmm. in the process. And he seems. Uh, which, which you have to do because it happens so gradually. Yeah. I mean, I think that there is a traumatic hit when it starts. You know, after a year or so, when. Every time you've gone out, you've had a noticeable receding hairline. Yeah. Um, you do get used to it, and I think there's a certain confidence that comes with that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, my biggest concern is with the dating thing. Uh, I do a little bit of app dating, and they have a certain expectation based on their profile. Yeah. And uh, my biggest concern is that after a few drinks, uh, she's going to say, well, you had a lot more hair in your photos. That's the <laughs> biggest fear. I mean, I'm sure they're thinking it, but I haven't gotten it once. I, mean, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe we're just neurotic and we notice it more so than other people do. Um, you know, I, that could be that could be the case. Um, I'm not I'm not sure. Uh, it's. It's certainly, well, I'm also taller, so I see, I have like kind of a bird's eye view of other men's heads, and I can see when people are thinning. Like I can see the, the crown, I can see, you know, little little places where, where others might not. Um, even themselves. Even themselves, yeah. That's I mean, that's gotta, be, that's gotta be really horrible when you're like, you are starting to realize, like finally, well, I mean, you have to like see it in the shower or on your bed when you wake up. Um, the, the the one thing I was talk, thinking about, though, is I, I see guys that are willing to shave their heads when they have um, – when they're losing their hair. And um, the problem is it assumes something. When you shave your head, it assumes that you have a nice jawline. Yep. 
Say more. Be, because if you, because as you noted earlier, talking about this kind of sickly look, shaving your head can give you, as a young man, it can it can open you to up to a lot. So one, you have to have something that distracts from the baldness. So if you shave your head, you have to have either a, a nice pair of glasses, that's a possibility, a nice thick beard, or you have to have a good structured jawline, a good set of facial features. And sometimes glasses aren't enough. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you need more than one. And my worry is that if I shave my head, I'm just going to look like a, <laughs> like a bowling pin. <laughs> yeah, this is a question that I wonder about uh, because it's really a matter of attraction. You know, mm -hmm. because they say women care less about this than men. I wonder if a woman looks at a man and still sees him as handsome, you know, before and after, you know, bald ship. Mm -hmm. Because when I look at a man before and after this process, I think to myself, okay, exhibit A is a handsome man. Exhibit B is no longer. He's anonymous. Now he's just, you know, one of the 12 bowling pins or whatever. Yeah, exactly. That it's just, wow, that's what scares me. I mean, who's going to know me after this is done? Well, the, but in, in, there's, there's, well, there, there is, I mean, I like the, 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 anonymity element to it but yeah no it is it is one of those things where maybe that just like um case by case um men are just more unattractive than women like just like generally speaking they're just not as the male is not as um as as pleasing to look at aesthetically pleasing i guess in some, or just not just i don't know i mean just more generic in some sense i, I i'm definitely painting with a broad brush here and i'm oversimplifying of course but maybe you know if i go out in public i see at least 75 percent of guys with weak chins sure and you know men tend to not eat as well and they tend to carry their body weight differently and that's another broad brush i'm painting with i i it's not a it's not a, a thing of resentment i just think like and yeah, maybe it is I'm just not attracted to men, but the, you know, men, well, no, this, I was going to say men aren't remarkably, like I, I look at men and I don't see anything remarkable, but that's not true. If I look at like Ryan Gosling, I say that's a remarkably handsome man. That's like a great looking guy. Or if I look at, you know, Hugh Jackman or whatever, right? These are um, Chadwick Boseman. Like I look at these, these, these Hollywood hunks. Um, I'm trying to think of the guy, Michael, the guy that was in the, in the, in the Creed movie. Anyway, I'm thinking of Hollywood hunks here, mm -hmm. and I, 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 I know remarkable men when I see them. I know good-looking guys, mm -hmm. but it just seems that, uh, by and large, women are more remarkably – more often than not, you will find a, a female that's, that's better-looking than a male. Uh, and maybe that's a vanity of culture. Maybe we've, we've you know, co-opted people into thinking certain ways about their appearance. Um, you know, like maybe we've maybe – we've, you know, brought girls up to thinking too much about their outward appearance and they have to present themselves a certain way. But maybe we need to recover that in the male department because, you know, I see a lot of roles, I see a lot of weak chins, mm -hmm. and I see a lot of bad hairlines. And yeah. some of that's genetic, but you can obviously, you know, a little bit of stubble goes a long way. A little bit of stubble, a little bit of body dysmorphia. <laughs> we, could, we could be a lot better than we are now. Well... Following up on your astute point regarding weak chins, uh, especially in men, uh, 
particularly in the uh, era of pandemics we live in now, mm-hmm. uh, many of us have inflamed glands. <laughs> so oftentimes it's to no fault of our own. I mean, I don't know if there's a gender gap here, mm-hmm. but for my part, I have very inflamed glands. I yeah. have chronic tonsillitis. So do I. Right. This is another crazy thing that we have in common. I think we should go into more uh, because not a lot of people talk about adult tonsillitis yeah. and what it feels like to be sick all the time. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'd happily talk about that. And, you know, you can actually even just tune out the first half of everything we've said and we can just make this, um, uh, you know, medicinally forward. Um, people don't even, people, and, and there's a problem. Foremost, people associate tonsillitis with just a cold. Oftentimes people will say, oh, you have a common cold, right? Or you have a cold. And I'm wondering whether or not people that say they have colds have tonsillitis. Mm-hmm. But, um, and I, and I don't really mean to trivialize other people's suffering, but honestly, not a day goes by where I'm not uncomfortable. Right. Not a day goes by where I'm, I don't have discomfort. I mean, what, what, what were you about to say, though, in regards to a weak chin with chronic tonsillitis? Does it inflame? It inflames your, your kind of... Yes. Yes. It does. It does. And um, this isn't something I've looked up because, you know, I'm imbued in too much online negativity as it is yeah but um i had a conversation recently with a friend of mine and she was telling me her brother who's around 30 um, and who has also had chronic tonsillitis for a long time Mm. uh, has experienced um not serious weight gain but serious loss of jawline um from the attendant inflammation that he gets Mm -hmm. uh, from the tonsillitis so yeah it's a, that's a that's a depressing one and uh, i remember actually mm-hmm. um, you know and i have limited personal experience with this because recently i had um, an mri yeah of uh my nasal area your lymph nodes on yeah that and and they wrote down uh something about um fat striation uh-huh. Uh, if I remember correctly, uh, it was something about a disproportionate amount of fat in my uh, neck, mm-hmm. um, in chin regions, and I just wondered if that was related to tonsillitis. Never, never asked. Mm. That's interesting. But I guess that's a separate topic. So. No, no. Yeah. Well, I was gonna say, like, you know, on a bad day where things are really, really inflamed, it looks like I stepped on a landmine, and that there is no division between chin and neck. It's just. It is just a continuous. It's just. A, Are you able to see it like that? Yeah, I mean, when you look in the mirror, you, you know, like maybe, maybe it is like a sense of dysmorphia, and I look in the mirror and I just see, you know, I see that guy, but I mean, to to have, yeah, exactly, right, like just, <laughs> just like a straight like shot, Dave Grohl. Yeah, like if you drop, well, I mean, that doesn't really make sense, but if you like held me upside down, right, and you drop something at my belly button, <laughs> it would just, it would just <laughs> go up would, your nose. Yeah, it would just it would, it would goes my nose or just graze my face. Like it would just you see, it's a continuous stream. But the, just the, a the, cylinder. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, the th- the thing is, though, smooth it's like, surface. People, I don't want like. I'm I'm actually convinced, you know, like as someone with chronic tonsillitis and someone that unfortunately has to deal with tonsil stones, you know, sort of these calcified deposits that appear and and can cause me, you know, illness, um, and especially when I am ill they can be worse uh but i i'm sure like i actually think more people have tonsil stones than they know 
Oh, yeah. Like, I talk to people sometimes, and I can smell it. And I'm like, oh, gosh. And how do they not know is what I'm like. And maybe they do know. I don't know. And it's, yeah, I'm, I'm trying not to be like, you know. No, I mean, you're coming from personal experience and a position of knowledge. Exactly. Um, I do think there's a little bit of lead time. I mean, the, the first thing is you, you taste rot. Yeah. Like, <laughs> what is going on? And, you know, you initially assume, like, okay, well, this is halitosis is. or uh, whatever it's called. Uh, I mean, and then yeah. soon you realize on top of this I'm getting sick all the time. And at that point it's just like, you know, call off the dogs. This is mm-hmm. this is tonsillitis. Yeah. I mean I just like the first the first symptom is just like like you're like you like are you've just brushed your teeth or you're like you're sitting down and you're like you can like it feels like a popcorn kernel or something or like you feel like a, there's just a there's just a constant tension in the in my the back of my throat there's just a constant discomfort like a constant itch i don't know what it is yes i've got difficulty swallowing and you can you you start to produce a little bit more saliva and then you also just taste like you taste the rot it's it's really really sad when i'm driving to work and then like start to taste the rot and then i like try and smell i'm like oh no and you know like it's 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 just it's just it's just you know i don't wish it on my worst enemy it's 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 awful there's a saving grace here, and, and, and that is that we have retronasal olfaction, which means that if it gets bad enough, we can smell. Do you ever smell your own tonsil stones? Oh, yeah. Because it's, you're smelling back there. Isn't that incredible? So you're able to catch it before it's too yeah, late. Yeah, I, which... I, I smell the death. Yeah. So, I mean, that's... that's but that, uh, the, the, no, no. does that go away as you age? Like, do I, will I lose that? I, I I hope you'll lose it when you get your tonsils out. Uh, but one thing that was brought up to me this past week, I was talking to an older man about my need to get my tonsils out, and he goes, "Don't they grow back?" And did you, do you know anything about this? You thought your tonsils grew back? Um, not only did he think that your tonsils grow back, but in 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 many cases he's right. Uh, that, no way. Uh, it happened to my grandmother. And, tonsils uh, grow back? It has to be done at a young age for them to grow back. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know when my grandma got them out, but I've definitely heard of cases of, of tonsils growing back. And, and so there is a decline in these surgeries. Uh, it, it used to be just all, the, all, all kids are getting them. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, it just, what, what really disappoints me is, I mean, there's got to be a way to, to treat this without getting them taken out it seems like such a draconian measure that doesn't isn't even guaranteed to work you know well well I, I i just looked it up you can they can grow back but they don't grow back in the way in which they once were it's not like i'm you're gonna grow back with a huge tonsil right Thank like, God. and that's only if there are remnants of tissue left behind um but the thing is i mean it's a double-edged sword because we're like okay well we know that there's good tissue in tonsils um and they help fight illness um, so we're not going to remove them as frequently. But then now we have a whole generation of people discovering that they have tonsil stones and that in some cases they have chronic tonsillitis. And that tissue back there is just making me more sick. The tissue that's supposed to help me out, it just gets it just it it just disrupts my flourishing. Yeah. Um, and it, we're really just kind of shooting the shit here. But I wonder how many less 
strep infections I would have gotten as a child had I just gotten them taken out, you know? Yep. Which, yep. and there are pros and cons there because maybe the immune system would, would have ended up being weaker. But whatever yep. it is, it, 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 this just isn't right, you know? I, 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 being sick for, being sick all the time, basically. Yeah, no, it's, 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 um, does your head get not, a little bit hot? <laughs> of course it does. Wait, does that uh, happen where you don't have a fever, but your head feels a little bit hot? Yeah, I think it's just my tonsils or stones are growing. They're just, they're just festering and warming up. I don't know if that's yeah. just me, but it does happen. Oh, well, it's just funny. Like, I bet you, like, I'll end up getting COVID-19 and I'll, I'll just be like, oh, God, this guy's got really bad tonsillitis right now. <laughs> like, every, you know, like everything will be blamed on the tonsillitis. Like, if I had the flu, last year I had the flu, blamed it on tonsillitis. Mm -hmm. You know, like, oh, I have a little bit of a fever. I can't tell. <laughs> And, and this suffering doctor. is blurring the lines, yeah. Yeah, they, 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 the doctor looks at your throat and is just like, you got tonsillitis. And if you have a primary care physician who is aware of your um, condition, mm -hmm. chances are you're going to come in and they're going to be like, oh, he's the tonsillitis guy again. And they give you, a, you know, an antibiotic for bacterial overgrowth and then mm. send, send you on your merry way. Well, yeah. guess what? Mm. If you're in the U.S. right now... Um, Mm. coronavirus outbreak is 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 just on the uptick where yeah. it's it's just starting really yeah and my my employer um i i will say that 50 percent of my coworkers have have had a quote cold for a week or more and mm -hmm. and and i've i've had a cold for about you know two weeks uh yeah it, it, it's it's just an abnormally long duration, and testing is not available. So, I, I and I, I don't really know what to do. And and the messaging around this is just extremely uh, confusing because it you you go on the CDC site and it says the risk mm -hmm. is relatively low for the average American, or I think it's as very low for the average American. Yeah. Um, but that 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 can't be the case. The CDC site is 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 providing bad information, and 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 why isn't there like a widget? Like when 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 it's time to vote, I can go on Google, and there's like you know the Google developers have created a little app that says like yeah. you know check your voter registration status and that type of thing. Why isn't there a widget that says get tested for coronavirus? It's just a re it's a gaping hole in modernity for me. Yeah. That I don't know, uh, and I, I don't claim to. I don't claim to have. I don't even know what do they do to test for, for Corona. Do they? Is it a blood thing? Is it a, a nasal thing? I don't. Because it's like a it's like a minor pneumonia flu kind of, or it can in severe cases it can mimic pneumonia, but it's like the flu, right? Uh, no, I mean I think in severe cases it leads to pneumonia. Ah. Uh, or even yeah. in yeah. Um, or a sense of fibrosis because. Not, 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 what, what is it called when your lungs fill with fluid? I heard that's like what can happen. I'm trying to remember the name of, anyway. Yeah. Yeah, it is cystic fibrosis when, when your lungs fill with fluid, I think. Yeah. Yeah, so your I mean, lungs do fill up with fluid and, and, and. And that are... can be lethal, of course. Yeah. So, I, I'm just really confused. I, I know they can swab you, but we simply don't have enough tests available. And I, 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 I was trying to. Google it real quick before this podcast, but we had audio malfunctions and we had to spend time doing that. But yeah, 
I couldn't find really any good information on why tests aren't available. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't know the, the manner of testing. Um, they were available I, in Singapore. They were available in Hong Kong. I'm just wondering what, what what's what's different here. Is it a supply chain issue, and is that yeah, and, and is it so it politically be. charged that we're we're not getting accurate information because that would be devastating to the Trump president? I I don't know what's going on. Yeah, no, no. I mean these are these are important questions to be asking. Um, I think at the bottom the bottom you know. My wife works for a doctor, and, and the doctor was saying that, you know, the the problem that they're having in Italy is the uh, surplus of people that are. Ha- I mean, there's just so many people infected, and then and you only have such limited space in hospitals and limited space and you know, clinics and so on and so forth. Not only just to test, but also just to treat people. So you have to start making decisions. Okay, am I going to treat this 60 year old person that has a pre existing heart condition, or am I going to treat this 45 year old dad that um, you know, has asthma. I don't know. You know, you, you, you have to, you have to, I mean, and, and this is of course just hearsay, you know, my cousins, sisters, whatever, but I'm, I, you know, I hear this and that that's like a tension and I, that's why people are being so uh, cautious to quarantine and, and to, to, it's not because it's fatal for most people. It's, it's because it can be fatal for the most vulnerable of people. Yeah. Uh, and, and the, 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 and we don't know what it is. Yeah. The comment, that you made that, that that you said the doctor made is is pretty are you aware of this this article that kind of went viral uh that was written by an anonymous, anonymous italian doctor mm, no uh, i think oh, it was yes, entitled yes. It, it, i think the title of it was it so you're young and it doesn't matter so so stop going out and killing people or something rough like roughly yep. like that and they were talking about you know, you're literally choosing who to let die. And it's not even just coronavirus patients. Um, it's people who are in the hospital for, for other reasons and they don't have enough resources to allocate to, um, you know, Absolutely. non-viral patients. And so somebody who comes in for a heart condition is, you know, you, there, the, maybe like the the triaging system is is not really well set up for something like this, and um, mm-hmm. they 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 stated that Italy was just in total denial about this thing. They were optimistic, yeah. said don't worry about it, and sadly, I mean that's what that's what the states uh, the the U.S. is is has been reported Cavalier. to have one of the worst responses to this thing. It's, um, yeah, because we feel it, it, so insulated, but we. We're not, you know. Yeah, oh, absolutely not. Uh, I mean, you know, we are sort of an epicenter of global travel. It's inevitable, uh, you know. Um, and, and though it, it didn't originate in the United States, it's 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 still a problem that we should have taken better measures to take care of. Um, we have to, I think, take care um, not to trivialize it moving forward. Um, and people pass it off as hysteria and so on and so forth. But that's exactly. I had I was talking to a colleague of mine who has a friend in Italy, and and this person in Italy was like, "Oh, it's nothing. I, I'm not worried about it, or whatever." And it's like, "Yeah, you might not be worried about it. You're 28 and you're very healthy, and you know, you're getting time off work and you're watching cool movies in your house or whatever. But you know, you going out to the market or you whatever you're doing, like the way in which you're." Um, minimizing the capacity, I mean, minimizing the 
if you're not if you're not taking precaution to minimize your contact and thus your spread, um, I do I do want to read this article because it does seem like you know you're um, in some sense I mean not of, of course forwardly guilty but in some sense you know you contribute to um, you know the the ill health of someone that that could it could lead to their death. Yeah, it, it is very much a moral issue, and something that scares me is. Um, young people have an outsized responsibility because of this phenomenon that we're talking about. They're less impacted, but they're very uh, infectious. So you're going to infect yeah. your your older loved ones and that kind of thing if you're not careful. Yeah. But the, to to convince a, a cavalier young person uh, yeah. to to, to be as cautious as they need to be would, would be an unprecedented PSA if, if it was able to have that kind of effect. And the, the older generation that is being impacted by this, um, it, it, who also largely um, controls the media uh, and, and influences, influences us as our parents, um, they don't seem to be concerned in any way. Yeah. So it, it's... Right. So I, I I had to tell my mom I, I don't know if I don't know if we should get together because I'm cons- you have risk factors and I, I think we should wait until I'm not sick anymore uh, to get just dinner or that kind of thing and and yeah. she's just feeling isolated and angry and like I'm a fear monger and the problem with Donald Trump's response to it is he has um, written it all off as 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 yeah. just overkill. And, and, and yeah, I saw I saw a woman say that she didn't believe in the coronavirus. Of course, that's like the most extreme thing. She said, "I don't believe in anything." She made it. I the, the posturing of, of the president has made in in some sense in some crazier circles. Of course, you don't want to paint with a broad brush, but has made this kind of at least initially was a, became a partisan issue. It is if, a partisan. It is a partisan issue still. I would say, and I, I think just the general attitude. You you talk to people who just aren't concerned about it, and and I think. The normalization of conspiracy theories has been a big has played a big role, and and mm-hmm. we, I think Trump is is uh, to blame for that. Uh, yeah, it's it's just strange that like people like to be concerned about the coronavirus makes one a globalist, uh, you know. And I don't know what you know what what even the the, the, the meaning of that is. Yeah, because the of average majority. average people uh, like you and I are being dragged into these conversations with conspiracy theorists and. And, and people who inhabit areas of the internet that we don't really understand. So I, I don't, yeah. I don't get it either. Yeah. You know, um, one thing that you, you, you do get one, one thing a, a colleague of mine told me it was a joke was, uh, you know, and this is, this is, um, I'll, I'll try and explain it, but, um, you know, in, in, in the Catholic tradition, sometimes people have a nostalgia in, in any tradition, people have a nostalgia for the past. Uh, and people will have a nostalgia for, you know, Baroque period or, you know, the Byzantium, etc. But people oftentimes, especially increasingly, have a nostalgia for, you know, the Middle Ages and the High Middle Ages, right? Um, you know, the, the wedding of uh, church and state and kind of the, the uh, kind of cultural uh, relevance and prevalence of, of the church in one's imagination. All this to say, people will say, I wish it was the Middle Ages, and the joke is, well, right now we have a plague and we have two popes, so 
it pretty much already is the middle age because oh. yeah, oh. you know the, the, the last pope is still alive pope benedict the 16th so you know but anyway this is this is that's just my shameless plug of uh you know uh, of, of 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 some kind of some kind of joke relevant um and, you know to my life and to what i do um but you know i do get worried um and um i'll continually be worried there it's it's, it's always difficult to strike the balance between because I, in my, in my estimation, um, our parents' generation, your mom and my dad, are skeptical of medicine. Like, my dad hates going to the doctor. He just hates the doctor. I don't know why. Makes no sense. He hates the doctor. And, maybe, you know, maybe that has to do with his upbringing. And, you know, he comes kind of from a working-class background and in the middle of the Midwest. And I don't know if that has, that maybe fostered something in him or his father or mother, whatever. But our generation seems to go to the doctor too much. I don't know. Maybe, maybe because we're, uh, kind of the, we have the accessibility to the internet and, you know, like you're a few, you're a few symptoms away from cancer, but like there is that, like, where's the balance between, okay, you want to have a sense of, um, you want to take this, this epidemic seriously, but all the while you don't want to, you know, start wearing a hazmat suit around town. Yeah. I, I think that we're just not accustomed to living uh, in in the in the states, living um, under under a state of emergency, and yeah. we don't know how to operate those neural pathways. I mean, in, in even our well, I guess you could say that our parents sort of do, uh, because of the Cold War and uh, Vietnam and and yeah, the series of events, obviously, and. Um, well, well, actually, you know, I just I realized, sorry, not to cut you off, I contradicted myself because earlier I was talking about young people being cavalier, and then now I'm, I'm making a claim that they're interested too much in going to the doctor. I actually this, don't think they are. I don't think they are. I'm taking back exactly what I said. So, you know, if we publish this, you have to edit that out. The thing is this. Young people are, like, really health conscious, I think, in some sense. Like, there's trends for mindfulness, like holistic bodily practices to orient one's self towards healthiness, lower blood pressure. People eat vegetarian and vegan increasingly. People are conscious about doing other diet fats like keto diets and um, all these kinds of diets, cutting out certain sugars and, you know, gluten and all these things, right? Very health conscious people exercise, I want to say. I want to say that that's at least seen virtuously, right? Like people look at exercise as a good thing more often than not, and people at least long to exercise. So you have that, you have sort of mindfulness practices, you have people trying to eat better, eat organic, and source their food, uh, I would say broadly speaking, or at least that's trending upward. And then maybe you have these same people that are like, okay, well, I want to be healthy, but I, I don't care about if I get the virus or not. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. We have replaced no-nonsense, you know, age-old, re reliable um, wellness practices with these um, arcane new age methods mm -hmm. like, you mm -hmm. know, supplementing and, and, you know, cryotherapy mm -hmm. and, and ice baths and, 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 and yoga and meditation. Those are great things. But it out of all this comes the mentality that we are in control of our yeah. own health and we can become a sort of superhero if we yeah. um, adopt all these practices that basically you have to be a coastal elite to even know about. And I, it, I think that's true. It, it all falls into the same category of, of insult. So 
I mean, one of the reasons why we're so divided, I think, is because of that type of insulation, uh, that type of separation that we have. Uh, so here out, here out on the coasts, I mean, there was a time when I thought that if I just did certain breathing exercises, that, that my immune system would be radically better than the average person. And, and that's, yeah. just a, that's just a crazy thought when you think of it. If, if I met somebody who had that thought um, five years ago, I would, I would think that they're just woo-woo and way out there. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and yet, that, that's the smartest people among us. Those, those are the young, right. well-to-do, educated right. people um, who, th- who think that they're invincible. And so right. that's the real problem, I think, with the young people. We don't have a, re- we just haven't really come face to face with true vulnerability, and that's what we're about to come face to face with in the coming weeks and months. I think that's, I think that's, yeah, I would agree with everything you said. Um, it's this, it's the, it's the sin of autonomy. It's this idea that you're the autonomous self, and that you're sort of, you know, you're able to um, manipulate that which is around you, um, because, in it, it ultimately comes down to kind of a sense of sloth or acedia procrastination like you don't want to deal with the realization that there are things outside of your control and this is this is perhaps me speaking autobiographically but you don't like dealing with the realization that there are things outside of your control so you're going to manipulate all these practices around you and hope that they are the golden ticket or the silver bullet that are the end all for health or the end all for spiritual well-being or the end all for this and that and then you find that one of them is going to fail because even though you eat healthy and you take supplements um you somehow have a tumor or in this case you somehow have coronavirus you know and then you have to kind of come to grips um with this you know the the failure of the self the failure of one's own autonomy the failure of your breathing exercises Mm -hmm. um and it's not to say that those things aren't good. Like if some people are like, yeah, I've radically lowered my blood pressure because I've been doing this mindfulness exercise. That's great. And I'm glad. And I want you to keep doing it. But that maybe didn't happen for me. Um, and it's the way in which we speak about self-care as if it is sort of the golden ticket or if it is that silver bullet, it is sort of the end all. And I think that's dangerous. And I think that we're in for a reckoning with, with you know, if this, if this virus gets even worse. Um, and, and we see that, you know, maybe, um, we took the care, uh, to, to be conscious and be healthy. Um, we, we took care of ourselves, but, you know, we're seeing those around us and perhaps even ourselves, uh, uh, in need of something outside of it, you know, uh, anyway, I, I digress, but no, we, we need, we need help and we have to do our own part to, you know, wash our hands and to, to, yeah practice social distancing and yeah. everything that, um, you know, is, is the boring old hard, like the, the hard way, you know, yeah. um, these are, these are all things that, that show us how truly outcomes are really out of our control. However, if we do the inconvenient, painful thing, we can all do our part, but, sure. but, but we can't, basically, you know, go into our room and, and, and cast a spell or, or say a certain prayer or set of words, um, yeah. mantra or whatever, that's going to make this whole thing go away. It, mm-hmm. it, we, we just kind of have to work, to work together and, and, and be real. And I, I find it hard to have a sensible conversation with, with people in this day and age. It's because yeah. everything, it, it, you, you hit all these tripwires. Like again, talking to my mom about coronavirus she 
is so sensitive to the narrative that that it's fear mongering that she yeah. thinks I'm being ridiculous when I'm 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 just trying to be practical. We don't know sure. what's going on, um, and 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 we seem like we do. So I guess this whole conversation, the the coronavirus portion of this conversation, we, we we're likely to look back on it and and feel that way. Yeah, I mean we're 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 of course we're oversimplifying, right? Of course there's nuances that we're not aware of, but nevertheless I think this the general idea that you know people in in many different ways are afraid to deal with. And it doesn't have to be coronavirus. Coronavirus is just sort of the conduit for this 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 thing that we're afraid to deal with, uh, that maybe we don't have uh, the answers that we seek. Um, you know, it, it's just strange. Like it's like my par- like our parents' generation, they don't go to the doctor, and they also like drink and smoke, you know, and and among other things. But then the younger generations, they don't go to the doctor, but they take care of themselves in in, in differing ways. And yet but we're all losing also, our hair and vegan, yeah. but we eat Cheez-Its and uh, all, yeah, I mean, all they're, those they're probably, things. I mean, I, I'll have a hundred Cheez-Its tonight, um, but, you know, um, people, yeah, uh, everyone loses their hair. Well, I mean, except those that take Propecia or they get hair plugs uh, and then they're, they, you know, their, their body rejects the hair plugs. Yeah. I want to, I want to... Um... There's a major theme of this podcast that I want to distill. I've been thinking about it a little bit. Yeah. Um, I, I think we might go into, I know we're reaching the tail end of our allotted time, but yeah. uh, I want to distill this one idea uh, and we may or may not hit it. But the other thing, like if we were to talk thematically about this conversation, mm-hmm. I would say that there's a lot of pain in in losing um the notion of control in 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 basically yeah. being proven wrong uh you you thought you had control but you were really just like a bag of meat out you know mm-hmm. in the desert and and yeah. you're just you're really vulnerable and and there's so many different layers of that vulnerability uh that we just deny and deny and deny you know yeah. the personal health thing aesthetics we talked about losing your hair, having a weak chin, uh, mm-hmm. and, 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 you know, in the extreme case, thinking that you're immune to a pandemic because, you know, you, you have a, a, a meditation practice. All of this stuff is just the myth of control. Mm. And, and it seems really scary to just give it all up and just say, okay, well, I'm, I'm, everything's really dangerous and I'm just going to live with it um, and, and, and just suffer through it. No, there's, yeah. I feel like there's actually a lot of personal energy that can be uh, freed up from forfeiting that sense of control and yeah, um, forfeiting that sense of, you know, control in, in, in the way of vanity. I mean, I don't really know, but I've talked to people uh, and, you know, losing your hair and getting yeah. older. Why is it that people who get older are generally happier? Um, I, th- I think it's, it's, it's a lot of this. It's just coming to grips with your vulnerability and just taking yourself less goddamn seriously, you know? Yeah. I, I, I think that was, that was beautifully said. It's funny that we start off, you know, tongue in cheek, uh, you know, with, with a sense of seriousness, of course, speaking about hair loss and weak chins, but that, that in some sense, almost at least biographically for you and I, you know, one people that are prone both to, um, a weaker chin and also hair loss, um, they serve as an overture, an overture for 
this kind of this idea of letting go. Um, you know, this idea that you know one might not be totally autonomous. One might might not be the arbiter of all things that are in front of them, right? The arbiter of their destiny in in, in that kind of language. Um, they, they they function nicely, you know. And when you let go a lot of silly vanities, you find true freedom. And to and letting go things, um, they don't even have to be vanities. I don't think it's necessarily a vain thing. I think I maybe said this earlier, but I don't think it's a vain thing to be sad that you're losing your hair because, you know, you've always had your hair. I've grown up, you know, I've spent most of my life having nice, big, thick, curly hair. And to see that loss is like, to see that gone um, is a sad thing. It's not just a vanity. But, you know, in those periods of sadness, some things that are stripped away, though sad as you're losing them, um, though shocking, though uh, unsettling in some sense, um, you often come out on the other side uh, a much better person. And I think that that's what we maybe see in, in, in guys in their 40s that are confident. Um, and in, you and I have this constant refrain, you know, for the listeners at home, that when we see a guy that's really owning or claiming something about him that's not seen as desirable, for instance, a really bad, like a pair of jeans that like you wouldn't wear, but more often than not, um, a bald head, we look at each other and we say, he looks good. Yes. We always, like, we notice what he's doing and we seek to emulate it. And we realize that there probably was pain in that instance of him, all of the losing, he probably maybe went through worse sadness about losing a hair than I did. Mm -hmm. But he came out on the other side and he's walking to the Starbucks to get his coffee and he looks really good. Mm -hmm. He's smiling and, you know, his posture's he, great. Yeah, his pot. Yeah, exactly. Well, posture. That's another. That's a topic for another time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, you you bring it up, and then I start stretching my neck. You know, I'm, I'm yeah. scared. to just hunch. You know, because yeah, just... we all have desk jobs and, and and everything like that. But yeah, I I think that that's it, it's all, the only thing that I would add to that. Um, yeah. Is I I don't. You're right. I don't want to delegitimize people's um, basically self mourning is is what it is. As, as yeah. you as you're getting older, the way that I would describe it is you look at yourself in the mirror and you don't look the way that you used to and you don't think the way that you used to and your priorities are just kind of creeping up and, and yeah. on you and saying, okay, well, I want to take care of something other than myself. And that's scary and it's it's gross and it's disappointing and I want to resist it. And you go through this the process of grief, of grieving yeah. um, something that you thought of as a static self and, and, and you know, losing that is just so freeing, I think. And that's mm -hmm. one of the reasons why I look forward to hopefully continuing to get older and, and, and go, going further and further down that path of self-discovery. Yeah. This is the last thing I'll say, and then we can cut it off here, because I think that I have something to add to that that's important. Please. It's, it's a dream of mine that one day we'll be sitting in a coffee shop wearing Keens, wearing light wash denim, maybe with T-shirts tucked in, and we'll both be bald. And we'll, we'll feel confident in that. And that there will be people our age walking in and thinking, those guys look good. That's a dream of mine. And it's, it's going to be a painful, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to take time to get there. But, like, I have a feeling that when I get there, it will be um, a feeling like no other. And I mean that. Thank you so much for listening to People. 
If you enjoyed this conversation, please consider subscribing to the program wherever you get your podcasts. And we would deeply appreciate your feedback in the form of a review on one of these platforms, as we intend on refining and growing the program based on insights from listeners like you. Finally, for more information or to donate to this listener-supported project, please visit our website at peoplepod.org. After all, it's people like you who keep us going. I hope you'll join us for the next episode of People, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you, and please stay strong during these trying times, and kind.